How many of you have never intentionally lied? How many of you are just accident, just slipped, you know, just slip, slip? Yeah. Um, and uh, how many of you haven't, haven't lied this uh, within the last week? No, that's okay. That's okay. Amen. Amen. But the, tr- the truth is people lie, don't we? People lie. Um, I don't know if Everybody lies, but I do know that people lie. And um, people lie about things they know a lot about. And people lie about things that they know very little about. And one of the easiest things to lie about, because we're uncomfortable discussing it, is what's happening in our lives in regards to sex. So somebody asked the question, have you heard this question? And people have heard this question. Kids have heard this question. Adults have heard the question. Are you sexually active? Heck no. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Are you monogamous? Absolutely. Some of us lie not with words, but we lie um, by creating an illusion an illusion of innocence. We never come right out and say that I'm mishandling my sexual life, but we create the illusion of innocence in order to make ourselves appear that we are better than we are. Even though we know that there's a verse in the Bible that says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, we really don't believe that. And when that verse says that, it's not just a limited number of sins that that really applies to. It's the whole gamut. Um, Men and women fall into every sort and every type of sin. And what we find to be really difficult is to be honest, particularly in the area of our sexuality and particularly if we feel like telling the truth is going to have a critical impact on the relationships that we're in. Now, for those of us who are married, the marriage ceremony and the marriage vows contain what we call a sex loyalty question. Do you promise? You're 22 years old, 23 years old. Do you promise for the rest of your life to be true and loyal to him? Because he's not going to look the same in 30 years. And neither is she not going to act the same. It's going to be highs and lows. It's going to be bumps and challenges, frustrations, disappointments, revelations that you have no idea coming down the road. And do you promise in a context of relative ignorance to be true and loyal to him, her? 
as long as you both shall live. Now, the statistics say that most of the people, almost 100% of the people at the wedding say, yes, I do promise. But the stats show that most of the time that promise is broken. And when we're discovered, we lie about it. Now, let's be honest. This issue of sex is tough, isn't it? Yeah. We like talking about sexuality as long as it's somebody else's sexuality. That's why if you're straight, it's easy to talk about gays. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than talk about our own sexuality. Sexuality is what I call the Mount Killer. With the Mount Kilimanjaro of moral issues, of character issues. And because sex is such a defining behavior, it says so much about who we are and what we'll do and the lengths we'll go to do it and the lengths we'll go to cover up what we do. We don't want to talk about it because we don't want to look so badly, particularly in this area. Even though we may be having struggles and we may not be doing so well, we want to appear as though we're doing well. Even in a marriage where... Um, there may not be any cheating. Things can be in a mess sexually. But we want to appear as though I'm so glad we're going on this marriage cruise. I can't wait for it. Yes, you can. Amen. You, you, that's the last place you want to be cooped up in a cabin. <laughs> can't go nowhere. Yeah. If the truth be told. Yeah. But it's hard to tell the truth about sex. And then some of us, we've gotten to the point where we don't care what anybody thinks. It doesn't make no difference to us. Well, you know, I'm a dog. Yeah, I am. It is. That's the truth. You know, what, what you got to say about it? Yeah, I'm shacking up. Yeah, I live with my mate. I'm not married. And it doesn't matter what you think about it. At least I'm honest about it. But you see, Christianity is not about being honest for honesty's sake. Christianity is about pleasing God and doing what God is pleased with. And this is where we find David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So if you'll turn there, and as you're turning, 2 Samuel chapter 11, in this text, we'll find that David is going to get caught up in a mess. And the Bible is better than cable. It really is. You read it, it's better than cable. Now, what, what happens, David, at the end of this story, he, he, he had been lying before he gets caught. He had been lying for about 12 months. So he had been stringing people along or painting a picture or giving the impression that everything was well in his life. For about 12 months, he had, was able to hold everything together. But he never lied with his words. He never came out and said orally or verbally, never spoke it. He never said that he was faithful or that he had not done something despicable with his, uh, in his sexual life. He lied with his behavior. The events the events that he had control over, he created an illusion of innocence. Now let me go, let me share with you how, how it happened in David's life. Now, you all remember David, right? David was a guy who was responsible for writing probably about 80% of all the songs, of 150 of them. He's responsible for writing most of them. So when you, when you quote the 23rd Psalm, most of us, then you know what? If I, if I, if I did what David did, and I wrote the 23rd Psalm. Y'all will stop quoting me. Yeah. 
If I said, well, here's my CD, my song CD, and I had done what David did, most church people would not want my CD anymore because what we have learned to do is to judge a person by one act of their life rather than the total bent of their whole life journey. And usually when we are that judgmental, we are also in the act of hiding something ourselves that we don't want somebody to discover. So here we see David, a man after God's own heart. What has happened? He has ascended from being a shepherd, keeping sheep out in the pasture, and God has raised him up to be the king over Israel. Now listen, whenever you become king, you got a whole lot of king haters in the kingdom. And somebody's just waiting for you to do something so that you can be knocked off your throne. Well, David has become comfortable as king. And what he begins to do, David begins to think back on his journey from the pasture to the throne. And he says, I didn't get here by myself. There are people who helped me out along the way, people who blessed my life, people who protected me, people who opened doors for me. David did not subscribe to the theory that I have pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. Somebody helped me along the way. And as he reflected back on his life's journey, David said, I want to be a blessing to those who helped me. And that's the right thing to do. Isn't that right? When people have helped us in our lives and blessed us, it's the right thing when we get an opportunity to show our appreciation. So David was attempting to show his appreciation to people who had helped him along the way. So he sent gifts by his soldiers to a country by the name of Ammon, and he sent them to the king. But what happened in the midst of David trying to bless this country, Ammon, and the king of Ammon, um, there was a communication snafu. And the king of Ammon had heard from his citizens that David had sent these men not to bless him, but these soldiers were actually spies. And that these spies had come to their kingdom in order to gather information so that David could strategically take over their nation. And so what Amnon did, he attacked David's soldiers, he embarrassed them, and the word got back to David about how his soldiers were treated, and what it did, it started a war between Israel and Ammon. Now, if you look in your Bible at, first, at, at, at 2 Samuel chapter 11, it gives us the backdrop of what's happening in David's life. A war is going on, and it tells us what's going on with David. Verse 1, it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem, and this was a time, this was a time, and this, this time wasn't like other times. Usually, David fought alongside of his men in battle. But it, this was a time, somebody said this time, you see, because um, usually sexual indiscretions happen at a time that is different from other times. Amen. In other words, normally for most people, it's not something you normally do. Something has changed in how you're rolling. So this was a time when David decided to remain at home. In other words, he normally went to war, but this time, this time he decided to stay at home. He had soldiers who were more than capable of dealing with the skirmish in the Ammonite country. Now, verse 2, one evening, and let us say about 3 or 4 p.m., 
David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of his palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Amen. Now, that would not bother most men, but, you know, it, 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 it got David's attention. Most men would have kept on playing their Xbox or their Wii, but it seemed to have captured David's attention. Not only was she bathing, but the Bible says that the woman was very beautiful. Now, most men would not be distracted by a beautiful woman outside bathing. This is kind of out of the ordinary. And, and, and you know, and, and sometimes it's kind of interesting how we're surprised when certain things happen. But he sees this beautiful woman bathing. And verse 3 says, and David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, notice what's happening in the text. David is on his rooftop. He has some guys with him. He sees a beautiful woman out there bathing. And so what he decides to do is to send some men to go and check her out. But notice the men don't go anywhere. The men immediately responded. Well, we ain't got to go nowhere to find out who she is. We know we, her. You talking about her? We know who she is. You see. You see. Let me just let me just say this. Uh, this is a masculine. This is a purely masculine text. You see, brothers. Listen, brothers may not say nothing. They they may not broadcast it, but they do scope the sisters out. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to let you know. You you may not. You you may. I'm just trying to be honest. You may not read it. Uh, you may not read it in uh, in your U.S. News and World Report. And these brothers trying to look straight, not trying to not to look to the left or to the right. But I'm just trying to tell you, if the sister is fine, the brothers have seen her. Am I right, brothers? You don't, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, ain't no fine women hiding there. Yeah, yeah. Even Ray Charles, as blind as he was, had a way of detecting the fine quality of a woman. Yeah, he said, brother, it's just in, it's just in the brother, it's just in a brother to, to notice when a woman it's beautiful. So these men, they didn't have to go anywhere. They said, hey, David, man, say, David, you say, King, that's the wife. That's Bathsheba. That's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Well, Uriah, we see, see, the thing is, these brothers, they knew the deal because Uriah was off in battle, but nobody was bothering with Uriah's wife because Uriah was one of the sickest soldiers that David had. See, Uriah was one of, and you read the story about him, the Bible says that he was one of David's mighty men. And so nobody's going to mess with his wife, fine as she was, long as he's going to be out to battle. He ain't going to be back for a long time. Nobody's messing with her because they didn't want to experience the wrath of Uriah. But David's no ordinary guy. You know, Uriah works for him. He controls Uriah's coming and going. Y'all not following me, are you? And so what he says, he says, well, go and bring her back to me. Now, this is where David starts wading into very dangerous territory. You know, find out who she is. Look at her if you want. Talk about how fine she is. But when he sent them to bring her back to the house, he begins to wade into very deep waters. This is the step. This is the step that puts him closer to failure. Now, verse four says, then David sent the messengers to get her. Now notice it, 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 it's, he, know, he saw her about three or four. Now it's about six o'clock in the evening now. 
it's already dark. No daylight savings time. And she came to him, or better yet, they snuck her in, or she snuck in under the cover of darkness, because remember, she's married. And she and David introduced themselves to each other. She's uh, impressed with the palace, and she's impressed by the king. And she delights in being in his presence, and they begin to small talk. And they began to laugh and to tease and they listened to Barry White and to uh, Usher and they, they listened to, uh, who else they listened to? Y'all know who they listened to. And it got late. And he drank some goose and juice. And she sipped on her Ziffindale. And they noticed the clock. They saw the clock. But she stayed the night. And he slept with her. And the next morning, she gets up and goes back home. And verse 5 says, and the woman conceived. And so about six weeks later, she notes that she's pregnant and she sends word to David. She says, I'm pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, the commander of the armies of Israel, send me Uriah the Hittite. And let me con- condense this story. So now David is bringing U- Uriah the Hittite into town, not so Uriah can get some R&R. David is attempting to cover the deed that has been committed. And so David attempts several times to persuade Uriah to go home and to sleep with his wife Bathsheba. And so, uh, and this wasn't an effort to cover up who the real father was. Now, Uriah is an extraordinary man. I don't know anybody who would go and fight for several months, who's married to a beautiful woman, go fight several months in the, in the Gulf, Afghanistan, Iraq. Uh, the, the, the order comes down from the Oval Office itself, you can come home. And then he comes home and he says, well, because my homies are back in Afghanistan still fighting, I think I'm going to sit right here on the steps of the White House and wait till my homies get back. And I'm not going home to be with my wife. I don't know anybody. I don't know a brother like that. I, 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 all the brothers I know when they're on the plane. All the brothers I know when they're coming through customs, all the brothers I know, even at the airport, what they're thinking about is coming home so that they can be y'all act like I'm telling something that's out of a comic book. But I'm just trying to tell you what's true. They just want to get home so that they can be with their what? Wife. But Uriah refuses. He is more soldier than he is anything else. And so he says, I refuse to go home. And so David tries over and over and over again and cannot convince this man to go home. So now David's plan to cover it up has not worked. And so after several times, several attempts, what David does, he sends Joab back to the army, back to the battle, back to the front line. And he sends him there with a note. And this is what the note reads. To Joab, his commander, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fierce. Look at how far David will go to cover his tracks. Put him on the front line and where the fighting is fierce. Put him in the most vulnerable place and then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. In other words, this was David's way of disposing of any evidence that would implicate him. 
And see, one of the things you want to do when you're guilty and you're lying, you got to get rid of all the text, <laughs> all the evidence. <laughs> so in verse 23, Joab, it says, carried out the king's order and sent the report. And the men, this, this was the report. The men overpowered us and came out against us in, in the open. But we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall. And some of, your king, some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. So David breathes, breathes a sigh of relief. Gathers himself and looks at the messenger and says, Well, say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as the other. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. And he says to himself, the mission is accomplished. All is cool. It's been covered up. So he thinks. And you know, lying is a very deceitful thing. It makes us think that we got all of our bases covered. But it's hard to cover all of the bases when we're not honest. Uriah has paid the price for David's sexual failures. You know, what I've discovered when it comes to covering up stuff, people will do some despicable things in order to cover up what they've done. Verse 27, it closes this story. It says, after the time of mourning, look at this. Just, you got to look at this picture. After the time of mourning was over. So after Bathsheba has mourned the death of her husband, Surely she didn't intend for all this to happen, for all of this to spiral out of control like this. After she goes through a period of mourning, David looks like more of a hero. He goes over and he brings her to his house. He marries her and she bears a son. And what David is saying, well, who knows the difference? But the Bible says the thing that David did displeased the Lord. Now, let's talk about this a little bit. You know, if you have the brains and the resources, you can create an image of innocence. You can make it look like you're innocent when you're really guilty. But the Bible is clear that there's nothing that we say or nothing that we do that is out of the eyesight or earshot of God. In other words, God hears everything we say, and he sees everything that we do. Did you not know that God follows you on your Twitter account? And he's a friend on your Facebook account? And he has a chip in you that wherever you go, he is monitoring the things that you say and the things that you do. He, all of our activity is recorded. And since David would not listen to his convictions, because, because you see this, my brothers and sisters, whenever we do wrong and we step outside of the will of God, especially when we are a child of God, you cannot step outside of God's will without something in your spirit convicting you. Now, you may ignore it. You may play it off. You may just overcome it. You may just say, well, I'm going to do it anyway. But I wish I had two or three witnesses that would bear witness to me, that would testify that whenever I step over the line, nobody has to tell me I don't need to get in any lecture. I know myself. Because the Holy Spirit convicts us of those things that are not consistent with the will of God. And so here, 
David would not listen to his convictions. And so God sends his pastor, Nathan the prophet, Nathan the preacher, to go talk to David. Now, Nathan, Nathan the preacher, Nathan the pastor, the king's pastor. And God gives him what I call another, please God, not me assignment. Yeah, not, not me, God. I, 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 talk, I, I, I talk to the king, but I don't want to talk to the king about what's going on in his bedroom. Send one of the other preachers. Yeah, because all the other preachers, they want to be on the big stage. They, they've been praying for an opportunity. Let them go talk to the king. But how many of you know God doesn't negotiate when he really wants you to do something? Yeah, when God, when God has decided that you his pick, that you the one, he wants to do it. God is not interested in negotiating uh, with you. God wants obedience from us. And sometimes we are not the one that did the crime. We're the ones God has called to try to straighten the mess out. And so here is Nathan thought he'd just be preaching sermons and, and doing weddings. And now he has to go deal with the king over this issue that's going on in his life. And so Nathan goes to the king's house, walks into the king's presence, and he says, King, I got a few things I want to talk to you about. Really, really it's only one thing. He begins to tell the story. And so it goes sort of like this. He says, King, there were two families here in Israel. One family was led by a guy named Rich Dad, and the other family was led by a guy named Poor Dad. He said, rich dad had a thousand, thousands of sheep and many cattle. And poor dad only had one sheep, one lamb. And they treated that one lamb just like a pet. He said, rich dad had company come into town to watch the NCAA Final Four. And what he did, he snuck over to poor dad's house one night and he stole the one lamb that they had. And what he did, he slaughtered that lamb and he uh, prepared dinner with the one lamb from poor dad's family. And so David said, well, who in the world is that? The devil is alive. That ain't going to happen in the kingdom. He said, whoever did this is going to have to pay. He says, I am the king of Israel, and I'm not going to allow this kind of activity to take place on my watch. He says, who is this? He has to pay because whoever did this is a low-down Benedict Arnold, Judas Iscariot, WikiLeaks, Clarence Thomas, never voting for a minority issue on the Supreme Court, dirty dog. We got to find out who this is. And so Nathan carefully but courageously says to the king, king, you're the guy. Now, whenever you're speaking to the king who just killed your ride, you got to say what you got to say, and you better get out of there quick because king's trying to cover this up. And so Uriah says, this is what the Lord God says to you. I anointed you. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. And see, we got to be careful because you see what God does whenever we transgress his sin. And then when we step into areas that we've never stepped to step in before and we begin to deny his presence and his power in our lives, God begins to bring up the stuff he's done to bless us. This is what God says. Look, says, now David, He says, I anointed you. Now, look, I didn't anoint you to be a governor. I anointed you to be the king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and I gave you your master's wives. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. He said, and if this had been too little, 
I would have given you more. And then he asked David the question, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in your sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the Ammonite sword. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. And because you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own, it's going to be a problem, David. Say, you did it in secret. But I will do this in broad daylight. Now, notice verse 13. David is at a place now where there's no, nothing else to say but the truth. Let me, let me say something about telling the truth, brothers and sisters. The best time to tell the truth, and I always say this, the best time to tell the truth is when you have lies as options. The best time to tell, now, when, when, you, when you tell the truth, when that's the only thing left to tell, oh, you're in trouble. Are you with me? And so what, what we're basically saying is that it's good to tell the truth, no matter how bad, no matter how ugly, it's good to tell the truth on the front end. And now David has no place else to go. He knows that the secret is out. And so David comes to himself and David says, I have sinned. And notice he doesn't say, I sinned against Uriah, which he did, and I sinned against Bathsheba, which he did, and I sinned against the kingdom, which he did. I sinned against my family and my sons. They've seen me do this. They all know about this. I've sinned against many, but he, he starts at where it began. He says, I've sinned against the Lord. He tells the truth, but it comes at a price. It's kind of late for some stuff. There are some things that cannot be reversed. Now, wouldn't it have been much better for David, Bathsheba, Uriah, if he had told the truth at the beginning? But, you know, when we, when we, encounter, when we encounter somebody who's made this kind of mistake in their life, we're usually ready to lower the boom on them. And we don't want to admit that it's easier to expect the truth from others than it is to expect the truth from ourselves. See, it's easy for me to condemn David because everybody sees what he's done. But oftentimes... It's more difficult for me to tell the truth. It's easy for me to condemn the truth that I've seen in your life, particularly if it's a failure. And I I, want to say to us, my brothers and sisters, this whole area of sexuality, though it's difficult, though it's challenging, though it's tough, for those of us, particularly in minority communities and poor communities, if there's going to be a culture change, We're going to have to learn how to tell the truth about sex. And we're going to have to learn how to tell the truth about our own sexuality and even our own sexual behavior. Let me tell you what's at risk. You see, so many premature pregnancies get happen because nobody can talk. Nobody can talk about what's going on. And if we do talk about what's going on, it's going to be condemnation, criticism, and a backlash. Y'all not with me, but I know I'm right. 
A person is struggling with their sexuality. They cannot talk about it. Therefore, creating an atmosphere where there's no place to work on it, no place to help. You see, as long as I can't talk about it, I cannot possibly receive help for it. And so we're going to have to discover ways to bring the truth out into the open in an atmosphere that is safe and non-judgmental. You see, because here's the truth about David, though he did do all this bad stuff, David really was a good man. In spite of what he did, the heinousness of it, he was a good man. What we're so used to doing is judging a person by one event, one act, one chapter rather than looking at the whole bent of one's life. David had a series of poor decisions in this one period of his life, never before, never after. And sometimes we're so unfair in church when we have chapters too and we judge a person based on one chapter, one time, one event, One lapse of judgment, one poor decision. Yes, a lot of mess came out of it, but he has more to his life than this one event. And so do you, and so do I. So David was a good man. Somebody say good man, but he made some poor decisions. Now, David had good reason to lie. Shouldn't have lied, but I understand why he lied. Now, many of you may not understand why he lied, but I understand why he lied. I understand why David lied. David lied because a whole lot was at stake. You see, if if it came out that David had stolen another man's wife, the kingdom was at stake. Uh, His his throne was at stake. And so here's the thing. We are always willing to sacrifice our spiritual relationship with God and save the things of the flesh. He wanted to save the kingdom. He wanted to save his reputation. But his spiritual relationship was what was at stake. David thought that by lying, he thought lying would buy him time. I, 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 I will create an image of innocence that will give me time to figure this out. He thought lying would buy him secrecy. If I tell the story right, if I don't say certain things, then people won't know. See, sometimes lying is not what you say. Sometimes it's what you don't say. And then he thought that lying would buy him a good reputation. And many of us are so concerned about our reputations. We're so concerned about what other people think of us. But as I posted on my Facebook page this week, you concerned about what people said to your face. You ought to hear what they said behind your back. Yeah, we're so concerned about what other people think of us. And don't you know that your life can't go forward or backwards on the words of of other people's thoughts? And so uh, David was concerned about his reputation. And so because he was so concerned about his reputation, he created a cover-up. Now, this is what I I, want to say to us. The sin is understandable. Many of us may not agree with that, but the sin was understandable. There are not many men. History shows us in the situation 
that David was in, who have passed the test 100% of the time. The sin was understandable. It was not out of the norm. It was not some type of aberrant, this doesn't happen behavior. This thing happens. And it happens over and over. But let me tell you what what was not understandable was the cover-up. And what really ticked God off was not that David made a mistake, but the lengths that he would go to cover it up. The people that he would hurt to cover it up. The dirt that he would do to cover it up. And the image that he would try to project of himself to cover it up. You see, I told you, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sinning is not something that we don't understand. It happens. And sexual sins happen too. And so God sent Nathan to speak the truth. Because whenever we sin and whatever the sin, the only thing that's going to help us is truth. And so this is what this is what David experienced with Nathan. Nathan spoke the truth at God's request, and he did it in three ways. He spoke patiently. He spoke powerfully. In other words, he did not mince his words, and he spoke privately. Now, there may be instances in your life where God may call you to speak the truth to someone, and the situation is a delicate situation. In those instances, we have to handle it delicately and in some cases, respectfully. In the case of sexual sins, decorum is often better than angry directives. Angry lectures generally don't help. And they typically reveal that we are more concerned about the issue or the image than we are about the individual. Nathan was not trying to rescue the nation. He was trying to rescue David. And so in times when we have to confront a person, our goal ought to be to help the individual, to help save his life and to make a difference. The best antidote to guilt and truth, whenever our guilt is confronted with truth, the best antidote is repentance. Repentance means to change the direction that we're going. And so here in this text, David finally admits his guilt. First, Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. He accepted the consequences of his actions. In other words, the baby died. Let me just say this. There, though God forgives us from sin, there can be social and relational consequences to our sin. Does not mean we're not forgiven, but it can mean that there are consequences here and now for our sins. And then David asked God for help. In your spare time, I want you to read Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was supposedly written after this situation in David's life. Now, how do we tell the truth? You know, how do we do it? Um, The Bible says to speak the truth in love. 
in order to speak the truth in love, particularly when you're wrong, particularly when we're wrong, we have to believe that by telling the truth, it's going to be the best thing for me and it's going to be the, the best thing for the people who are in our lives. No matter how much you think you're sparing people hurt, lying never spares people from hurt. The Bible says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And we have to believe that there is forgiveness even when we admit that we've fallen. We've talked about several areas of sexuality over the past several weeks. We talked about temptations, that everybody experiences temptations. We talked about traps. There are things that we don't see that happen that put us in a place where we're vulnerable. We talked about misappropriate sexuality. And, th- and, and today, w- the point that we want to share is that when we find ourselves in a compromising place where we may have failed sexually, the best thing to do is to tell the truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy.